1: You know, when I was a kid, I used to listen to several radio programs with Western or cowboy themes The Lone Ranger, The Cisco Kid, and a program we're going to hear in our first segment tonight, Hop Along Cassidy. But before we hear the episode, first a peek behind the curtain to explore the actor who portrayed Hoppy, William Boyd. He was not just an actor, he was a consummate businessman, as you'll discover. As a young man in Hollywood, he found work as an extra in films, but at the time, in 1931, Boyd was virtually broke and without a regular job. In 1935, he was offered the supporting role of Red Connors in the movie Hopalong Cassidy, but he asked to be considered for the title role, and he won it. The producer, Harry Pop Sherman, wanted to make more ambitious epics and abandon the Hopalong Cassidy franchise. Boyd, determined to keep it alive... Produced the last 12, Cassidy features himself on noticeably lower budgets. By this time, interest in the character had waned, and with far fewer theaters still showing the films, the series ended in 1948. But Boyd insisted on buying the rights to all of the Hopalong Cassidy films. Harry Sherman no longer cared about the property. He thought both the films and the star were played out, and regarded Boyd's all-consuming interest with skepticism. Boyd was also single minded about his mission that he sold or mortgaged almost everything to meet Sherman's price of $350,000 for the rights and the film backlog. In 1948, Boyd, now regarded as a washed up cowboy star and with his fortunes at their lowest ebb, brought a print of one of his older pictures to the local NBC television station and offered it at a nominal rental, hoping for new exposure. Well, The film was received so well that NBC asked for more, and within months, Boyd released the entire library to the national network. They became extremely popular and began the long-running genre of westerns on television. Boyd's desperate gamble did pay off, making him the first national TV star and restoring his personal fortune. And now to tonight's story.
2: Action and suspense out of the old west comes the most famous hero of them all, Hopalong Cassidy, starring William Boyd. (laughs) The ring of the silver spurs heralds the most amazing man ever to ride the prairies of the early west. Hopalong Cassidy, the same Hoppy you cheer in motion pictures, and the same California you've laughed at a million times. Raw courage and quick shooting have built a legend around this famous hero. Hopalong is a name to be feared, respected, and admired. For this great cowboy rides the trails of adventure and excitement. William Boyd as Hopalong Cassidy and Andy Clyde as California. What's our story this time, Hoppy? I call this one a shot in the dark. It was getting on towards supper time when California and I rode into the little town of Spurlock We've gone out of our way in order to stop by and say hello to the niece of Jim Reynolds, an old friend of mine in St. Louis. Hey, uh, Hubby, that must be the place right there. Crawford General Store. Frank Crawford. Prop. <laughs> uh, ain't that the name of the fellow Jim said it mattered, Grace? That's it, California. Looks like a nice store, too. Yeah, a heap better than the store across the street from the look of it. But... Seems funny a young couple with plenty of money would come out and settle in a place like this, though. Well, according to Jim's letter, Crawford's health isn't too good. He has to be someplace where it's hot and dry. Well, he comes to the right place then. <laughs> But, uh, must be sort of tough and grace, though. This is a far cry from St. Louis. Ah, yeah, here's the store. Let's tie up, and say all, then we'll get down to the hotel. Search me, Hoppy, and, uh, I hope they get a couple of good bags, eh? <laughs> I could use a nice, thick steak, too.
3: Yeah,
2: yes, mothered and onions. <laughs> My mouth's watering already. Uh, place looks deserted oh there's somebody at the back by the counter yeah 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 it must be grace talking to the short fella looks like she's been crying
4: is there something i can do for you gentlemen
2: uh you're grace crawford aren't you well yes (laughs) i'm Hopalong cassidy and this is california carlson your uncle jim reynolds is an old friend
4: oh of course i've heard him speak of you so often I'm very happy to meet you both.
2: It's a pleasure, ma'am, and you're as pretty as Jim's letter said you was.
4: Thank you. I'm afraid I don't feel very pretty right now.
2: <clears throat>
4: oh, I'm terribly sorry. Mr. Cassidy, Mr. Carlson, this is Judge Bryan, a friend of ours.
2: Welcome to Spurlock, gentlemen. Thanks. It isn't often we meet up with a judge in these parts. Yeah, is. we've been kind of lucky. Uh, wait,
4: <laughs> <laughs> uh, what you mean?
2: Yes, yes, I think I understand. But I'm not really a judge anymore. I've gone into private practice again. If you need any legal advice, just call on me. Thanks, we'll do that. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'll be getting back to my office. But,
4: Judge, what about Frank?
2: Oh, if there was something I could do, Grace, but he won't listen to me when he's been drinking. Now, you know that.
4: I know, but I'm worried.
2: Excuse me, Grace, I don't want to butt in, but if there's anything we can do, I'm afraid
4: there's nothing anybody can do. Frank has changed so since we came here six months ago. Taken to drinking and gambling and spending all his time at the saloon down the street.
2: Well, the worst part of it is isn't well, he's made some enemies. A couple of them would as soon shoot him as look at him. Hmm. What have they got against him?
4: I'm afraid he started out on the wrong foot here, Mr. Cassidy. They resent his being from the East and the fact that he's fairly wealthy. And Frank's done nothing to make them like him. In fact, he's...
2: Now, well, what she's trying to say, Cassidy, is that Frank has deliberately been hard to get along with. He's made it quite clear to everybody that... He considers himself above them due to his wealth and family background.
4: Miss Grace! Yes, what is it, Jake?
2: It's Mr. Frank. I'm afraid there's going to be trouble. Well,
4: Jake, what's the matter? Well,
2: he's in a poker game with Crip Farrell and Big Tom Gorman, Miss Grace, and it looks like they're trying to two-time him.
4: Oh, Judge Bryan, what can we do?
2: Yeah, we've got to get him out of there quick. Well, you better do something or he's going to get killed, sure. <laughs> Back to Hop Along Cassidy and our story A Shot in the Dark. <music> Hoppy and California had stopped at the little town of Spurlock to look up Grace Crawford, the niece of an old friend. When they entered the Crawford General Store, they found Grace talking with Judge Bryan and worrying about the actions of her husband. A short time later, a man came in to report that Frank Crawford was in the Silver Sage Saloon and there was bound to be trouble. Yes, we'll have to go easy, man. Frank won't be easy to get out of that saloon. The men he's playing poker with are mean customers. Just who are they, Judge? Yeah, they'd as soon shoot Frank as look at him. Cripp Harrell's a shady character, owns the Silver Sage. And Big Tom Gorman owns the other general store. He's hated Frank ever since he opened his store here. This the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is it. Come on. Hmm, ain't very crowded. Yeah, well, that's them. Three men at the table over in the corner. Well, they don't look too friendly toward each other. And they won't like our trying to break up their game either. Well, if only Frank'll listen to reason. Oh, uh, oh, Frank. Yeah. What's on your mind, Judge? Frank, it's it's Grace. She well, she she wants to see you. Your wife wants to see you, Frank. You better run along like a good little boy. Shut up, both of you. going to call it quits and come along, Frank. Look, Judge, I pay you to look after my investments and business affairs, but your job stops there. You don't have to stick your nose into my private life. I'm only trying to help you, Frank. You know that. You're getting on my nerves, Judge. Supposing you haul out of here and let us get on with the game? Yeah, beat it, Brian. How about it, Frank? You coming? No. Can't you see I'm busy? Your sure deal, Tom. Uh, pardon me, gentlemen. Mind if I sit in? Cassidy, whatn't he? You... Uh, excuse me, Judge. <laughs> uh, we're playing a high-stake game, cowboy. Uh, that's fine. I think I got enough to go on for a spell. Yeah, but but quiet, Judge. Hoppy knows what he's doing. Let's just look on. Deal, Gorman. You and Farrell are 7,000 in me, and I plan to get it back. <laughs> see your 500 and raise your 1,000, Crawford. You're bluffing, Farrell. I can win this pot and be even. I'll call. I'm out. How about you, cowboy? I'm afraid that's a little rich for my blood. I'll fold. Well, just you and me, eh, Crawford? Cards? Uh, Two. There you are, and the dealer takes one. Just a minute there, Farrell. Yeah? I saw that. What are you talking about? You slipped about? that card off the bottom of the deck. Hey, you better watch what you're saying, Crawford. Why, you tin horn. You're accusing me of cheating. That's exactly what I'm doing, Crip Farrell. No wonder I've been losing steadily. You're asking for it, Crawford, and no, you're... Keep your hands right where they are, gentlemen. You stay out of this, cowboy. Yeah, what are you horning in for? This is none of your affair. Maybe I'm making it my affair. I saw him slip that card off of the bottom. He's been cheating all along. That's right, he has. And if you're too stupid not to have noticed it before, you should be home playing tiddlywinks. Wait a minute there. You two had this plan, didn't you? I never set eyes on this man until I walked in a few minutes ago. I just want to see that he gets out of here in one piece. Now, take your money and get out of here, Crawford. All right, come on, Frank. Get back to the store. I'm not taking break. orders from anybody. Least of all, this cowhand. hand. When I want somebody to protect me, I'll hire a bodyguard. California, get his money off the table and give it to him. All right, Hoffy. You won't get away with this. That's my money. Cripp's right. He had the high hand. Here you are, Crawford. Now get out and don't come back, Crawford. All right, I'll go. But those two haven't heard the last of this. And neither have you, Crawford. You'd better get clear out of town while you've got a chance, Crawford. You'll never scare me away, either of you. Speaking of getting out of town, that wouldn't be bad advice for you to follow, cowboy. We don't like strangers meddling in our affairs here. Thanks, I'll remember that. Pay no attention to them, Cassidy. You're welcome in Spurlock as long as you want to stay. Well, we just want to get a room at the hotel for the night, Judge. That is, uh, if these gentlemen don't object. Come along, then. I'll show you where it is. And I'm sure they've got a room. You know, Hoppy, that's as fine a steak as I've had in quite a spell. (laughs) (laughs) That sure was. Well, I trust you men are being well taken care of. Oh, did you get a room all right? Yeah, we got one. We're about to make use of it, too. A good night's sleep will do us both good. Yeah, I can well understand. I wonder if you'd do something for Frank Crawford first. That all depends, Judge. What do you mean? Well, I just came from his store and we've had quite a talk. Frank realizes now that you did him a great favor at the saloon. And, well, he... He'd like to see and apologize. <laughs> he doesn't have to apologize for anything. But I'd be glad to talk to him if he's simmered down. Fine, fine. Well, you'll find him in his office at the rear of his store. All right. Aren't you coming along, though? No, no, no. Frank wanted me to get some things in order for him. So I'll have to get back to my own office. Well, I'll see you tomorrow before you leave, though. All right, Judge. Hmm, must be awful being a lawyer and having to work nights that way. Uh, some people think it's the only life. Come on, let's stop by our room and then uh, go see Crawford. Just a second now, and here we are. I, uh. Uh, well, I'll be. Uh, I could have swore I locked that door when we went out to eat. Uh, <laughs> California, you're getting more absent minded every day. Well, nobody could steal much from us, anyhow. Well, uh, we weren't gone long. Seems to be in order. Oh, don't let it bother you. What are uh, you going to do? Uh, take along your hardware? Sure. <laughs> I don't mind leaving my gun belt here while I eat. But from what I've seen of this town, you never know when a six gun might come in handy. Better put yours on, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a bad idea, that. Well, let's go. And this time, lock the door. <laughs> Looks like everybody works for a night here. There's a light in Gorman's store across the street, too. Maybe he's trying to figure out a way to improve business.
4: Excuse me, Mr.
2: Grant. Why, sure, Grace. I, I don't mind waiting.
4: Oh, I'm glad you've come, Mr. Cassidy and Mr. Carlson.
2: Glad, too, Grace. Is your husband here?
4: Yes, he's back in his office. Go right on back, won't you? All right. I'm so grateful for what you did, Mr. Cassidy. Judge Bryan told me all about it. Frank realizes that... I'm
2: glad he understands. He didn't seem to appreciate it at the time. I'll go back and see him.
4: Fine. I'll finish waiting on Mr.
2: Grant. I'll wait out here with Grace Hoppy. All right. I won't be long. Well, come in, Cassidy. I've been waiting for you. The judge gave me your message. I feel like a fool, Cassidy should have known you were trying to keep me from getting into a bad spot. But... Well, don't let it bother you. It looks like you're playing in rough company. That's your dog? Yes, that's Colonel. I have him tied on a rope out back. Sounds like quite a watchdog. <laughs> oh, he's that all right. A one-man dog. Most of the time, he's just barking at cats and other dogs. I'll close the window before he won't. Crawford, look out.
3: <laughs>
2: Crawford, could you see who it was? Hoppy, uh, uh. what happened? It's Crawford. He's been shot.
3: Frank. Frank, speak to me.
2: I... I'm afraid he can't, Grace. Frank's...
3: Oh, no.
2: How'd it happen, Hoppy? Somebody shot him through that open window. I couldn't see who it was. Just saw a gun.
3: Frank. Oh, Frank.
2: California. Look after Grace. Sure, Hoppy. Just a minute, cowboy. Where are you going so fast? Out the back way. I might be able to run the killer down. Hold on a minute. How come your gun was drawn when we came in? Why, just... Let me see that gun. Look, mister. While we're standing around here, Crawford's murderer is making a getaway.
4: Mr. Grant, are you insinuating that Mr. Cassidy shot my husband?
2: I'm not insinuating anything. But look at this, Mrs. Crawford.
4: One of the cartridges has been fired.
2: What? I think I'd better just hold you till the sheriff shows up, cowboy. On suspicion of murder. While Hoppy was talking to Frank Crawford in his office at the rear of the general store, someone fired a shot from outside the open window, and Crawford fell dead with a bullet in the heart. Later, when the sheriff entered and discovered one of the shells in Hoppy's gun had been fired, he placed Hoppy under arrest on suspicion of murder. Ah, uh, You're making a big mistake, Sheriff. are you wasting your time bringing me here, Crawford's murder has gotten away clean. Cassidy, what's this all about? I just saw Grace and your friend Carlson. Sheriff, you've got no reason to lock this man up. Now, shimmy down, Judge. You ought to know all about circumstantial evidence. Well, does this man look like a murderer? Of course not. Well, he'll sure get a chance to prove he ain't before a jury. I'm taking him to the county seat tomorrow. Yeah, we'll see about that. Leave us alone, Sheriff. I want to talk to Cassidy here. You figuring to act as his lawyer, Judge? If he likes, yes. Well, in that case, I reckon it's all right. But hurry it up. I want to get some sleep tonight. Uh, it's terrible, Cassidy. I'll try and get a writ from the county seat tomorrow. We'll get your release from here. You don't think I killed Crawford, then? Huh? I, of course not. Yeah, but what's this about a bullet from your gun having been fired? Yeah, one of them was fired, all right. Somebody must have planted an empty shell in my gun while California and I were eating over at the hotel. Ah, yeah, this is beginning to add up, Cassidy. What do you mean? Big Tom Gorman lives at the hotel. You think Gorman might have watched for a chance and then got into our room while we were out? Well, he could have easily enough. Of course, we can't jump to conclusions. Well, Kirk Farrell could have done it, too, for that matter. Both had reasons for wanting to see Crawford dead. Well, whoever it was did a clever job making it look like I'm the guilty man. I know. I know, and it's going to be hard proving you didn't do it. Yeah, but don't worry. We'll get you out of this, all right. You just sit tight here, Cassidy. <laughs> it doesn't look like there's much else I can do. But if you see California, tell him I want to see him right away, will you? <laughs> You to see you. Well, Hoppy, what are we going to do? I don't know. But I sure don't like being cooped up in here. Have you found out anything? Oh, not much. I looked outside that window for footprints, but there wasn't anything I could see. What about the dog? Oh, him? I found him all right just a couple of blocks from the store. He was half dead. Looked like he'd been hit over the head with a gun butt or something. Had he broken the rope that Crawford had him tied with? Yeah, yeah, he had. Broke it clean in two. Then he hmm. must have chased Crawford's murderer. Huh? Gosh, you're right, Hoppy. The murderer is the one that liked to kill him. Looked like there was quite a scuffle there. Well, yeah. you get any ideas, Hoppy? Uh, a couple. None can do any good as long as I'm cooped up in here. Judge <laughs> Bryan said he might be able to get you released tomorrow. I know, but if he doesn't... Hoppy, then... uh, I don't like to worry you, but there's something you ought to know. What's that? There's quite a crowd over at the Silver Sage Saloon. Some of them's talking about a... Lynchin? What? Yeah, some of them saying there's enough evidence against you to hang you anyway. If they keep thinking that way, they, they might try it. I gotta get out of here. Yeah, but how? Go get our horses and a couple of strong ropes. This jail's not too solid. Maybe you can pull that window right out, bars and all. That's a good idea, Hoppy. Hurry, California, and don't let anybody see you. <laughs> Over to the saloon's getting bigger and crazier every minute. Here, tie this to one of them bars. All right. The sheriff's still out in front. Was when I went by on the way to get the horses. All right.
3: There. There.
2: That's tight. So's mine. I'll give the horses a run at it. Listen. What's that? Sounds like that mob from the saloon. They're out front. Get going, California. I never did like the idea of wearing a hemp necktie. Right, Hoppy? Here goes. Hey. Hurry, Hoppy! Hurry! I'm coming! Look at the window! Get away, man! After there! Come on,
3: Copper! Oh, Hoppy! All
2: California, this way! Hey, little... Ah, that was close, Hoppy. Yeah, they couldn't follow us in the dark, though. What do we do now? Well, if you were in that mob, what would you expect an escaped prisoner? Why, uh, keep right on a running, I reckon. Put as much distance between him and the mob as he could, before they send a batch of posses out after him. Ah, That's just what I figure they'll think. So we're going back into town pronto. Where, where, what? Well, have you gone local? <laughs> I hope not, California. That's the only thing we can do. We can't keep running, that's sure. <laughs> but what are we going to do once we get back to Spurlock? I don't know exactly. While they're organizing a posse, it'll give us a chance to check up on a couple of ideas of mine. Are you with me? What are we waiting for? Come on. Uh, I think this key is going to work, Hoppy. Good work, California. Come on in and shut the door. Just hope he don't walk in on us here. We gotta hurry. Look through that bureau and any place else they might have been hidden. I'll look through the closet. Right, Hoppy? You got plenty of matches? Ah, I see. Yeah. No, oh, nothing here but clean shirts and stuff. I'll keep looking. <coughs> no sign of them, Hoppy. Well, maybe I was wrong. Wait a second. Look here. Well, well, I'll be. Start back in. the... Corner there. Yeah, that's just what we're looking for, too. Come on, we gotta get over to Grace Crawford's house.
4: Mr. Cassidy, you shouldn't come here. Jake just came by and said the whole town's down at the saloon. They're organizing posses to search for you.
2: Ah, that's fine. I'll save them the trouble in a minute.
4: You mean you're going to give yourself up?
2: Not exactly, but I'm gonna try to show your husband's murderer up.
4: You know who it was?
2: I think I do but proving it may not be so simple.
4: Is there anything I can do to help?
2: Yes, I'd like to see the dog if you'll show me where he is.
4: Why, of course. He's on the back porch.
2: How's he making out by now?
4: Well, he's better, but... Well, come with me and you can see for yourself.
2: I'll bring the lamp. Your husband told me he was sort of a one-man dog.
4: That's right. He wouldn't have anything to do with anybody else.
2: Well, hello, old-timer.
4: Poor thing. Poor thing. He doesn't seem to know what's happened.
2: Tell me, uh, was he mean or vicious with other people?
4: No, not mean or vicious. But, of course, he didn't have much chance to be. Frank kept him tied out back of the store, and nobody would go near him anyway.
2: You think he'd come with me for a little while without your being alone?
4: I don't know. I think so. Why?
2: I think Colonel here might help us prove something. It's worth a try, anyway. He acts like he wants to be friendly, anyhow. Hi there, fella. <laughs> That's a good old boy.
4: Why, well, I never saw him do that before. He's licking your hand.
2: Can you get up, all right, boy? Come on, up, boy.
4: He acts as if he wants to go with you, Mister Cassidy. Uh,
2: here, Hoppy, uh, want to use this leather strap for leash? Yeah, thanks. Ah, there we are, old timer. How's that? <laughs> Guess that means it's all right, Hoppy. All right, let's get going. <laughs>
5: in the window, Hoppy? Yeah.
2: Must be 30 or 40 men inside. The sheriff's talking to them. Now, let's get over closer to them batwing doors. Maybe we can hear what they're saying. Hang on to that leash, California. I got it. Good boy, Junction. Okay, Sheriff. We're ready. Boy, you and Farrell can take some men down towards the Patchett Creek. They might have headed that way director direction. If they did, we'll get them. Uh, we can save you the trouble, Sheriff. No. Get them. Watch it, Corbin. Go they've got guns. Stay where you are. I love you. And keep your hands in sight. You better give yourself up, Cassidy. You can't get away this time. I'm not figuring to get away, Sheriff. Frank Crawford's is in this mob, and I'm going to prove it. What are you driving at? Whoever shot Crawford almost killed his dog, too, after the dog broke loose and chased him. Unless I missed my guess, the dog can show us who that man is. That's ridiculous, Sheriff. Come on, let's get it. That's him. just a stall. That's all it is. Just a minute. Cassidy may have an idea here. You can't prove anything with that dog. I'm afraid you're going about things in the wrong way, Cassidy. It's worth a try, Judge. You still think it was either Gorman or Farrell that killed Crawford? Why, well, well yes, but... Uh... Why, you, out? Are... All right, Gorman. Suppose you come up here and pet the dog. Come on, get a move on. Well, all right, but... Hmm. Nice dog. Good dog. There. All right, you're next, Farrell. I don't like dogs. Why should I... Get moving. That's a good fellow. Good boy. You don't seem to be proving much, Cassidy. Maybe I'd better consult my lawyer, Sheriff. Come here a minute, Judge. Well, what do you want, Cassidy? I ceased being your lawyer when you broke out of jail. I said, "Come here now."
3: Well, uh,
2: don't let go of that piece. Well, he doesn't seem to take people, does he, Judge? I don't know whether it can hold him or not. Holy, holy, holy! Lord, the judge, he's going for a gun. Drop it, Judge. <laughs> The judge is locked up safe, Cassidy. And you were right. One of his legs was tore up where that dog had bit him. That varmint had a right clever scheme worked out to get rid of Crawford and put the blame everywhere but on himself. Yeah, and he had more motive than either Gorman or Farrell for killing Crawford. Well, I declare I never would have thought the judge was an ambassador. But I suppose handling all of Crawford's investments was just too much temptation. How'd you get wise to that, though, Cassidy? <laughs> I didn't think of that until I was practically sure he'd shot Crawford. I first suspected him the night after the shooting when he came to the jail to visit me. You see, Sheriff, he told Hoppy and me he was going to his office to do some work that night just before the shooting. Yeah, but what's that got to do with it? Well, I knew Crawford's dog had broken loose and chased somebody. And when the judge came to see me, I noticed he'd changed his pants. I got to thinking it was sort of strange for a man to get into a new pair of pants just to work in at night. <laughs> and when we looked through the judge's house, sure enough, there was the old pair, the dog a-torn, in his clutch. Well, I declare. Well, I'm glad the whole thing's settled. And, oh, I'm sorry about all the trouble you got into. I'm afraid I owe you both an apology. <laughs> I'm willing to call it even if you are, Sheriff. Call it even? Yeah, you owe us an apology, and we owe you a jail window. <laughs> well, the judge was really up against it when he tangled with both Hoppy and the loyal one-man dog in his scheme to solve his money troubles with A Shot in the Dark. Oppie and California reluctantly part company with $10,000 in gold when they walk into a bank run by bandits and gunfighters in a town turned inside out for a Gunhawk convention. Don't miss this next thrilling adventure. <laughs> Hop Along, Cassidy, starring William Boyd, is transcribed and produced in the West by Walter White, Jr. A Shot in the Dark was written by R.T. Smith, with original music under the personal direction of Albert Glasser. All stories are based upon the characters created by Clarence E. Mulford. This is a Commodore production.
1: tuned for George Burns and Gracie Allen next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for George Burns and Gracie Allen and the story of Burns as a butler.
2: Starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Yours truly, Bill Goodwin, and the music of Meredith Wilson and his orchestra. Here's Meredith Wilson with his chiffon arrangement of If I Loved You. Burns home today, we find George and Gracie discussing the problems of their next-door neighbor, Meredith Wilson.
6: So, Meredith is going to drop over, George. He has a date tonight, and I want you to give him some advice about women.
2: What? Again? (laughs) Why doesn't his father have a talk with him?
6: Oh, oh, his father is even shyer with women than Meredith.
2: Oh, so he got a shyness from his father.
6: Yes, and it not only affected Meredith, but his ten brothers and fourteen sisters.
2: Uh, well, I don't think I'm the one to advise him about women
6: Oh, i bet you know plenty about women, George Burns I wouldn't be surprised if you used to be quite a ladies' man
2: Me? Oh, a little, maybe You
6: handsome rascal I'll bet you have plenty of competition for Francis X.
2: Bushman Yeah, took plenty of dames away from George Ollis, too.
6: Well, don't tell me you don't know anything about women. I knew the first time I kissed you that you'd been kissed before. You were dynamite. Really? Sure. You kissed almost as good as I did. Thanks. So you will have a talk with Meredith?
3: Well,
2: I guess it is sort of selfish of me to keep all my vast knowledge about women to myself. They didn't used to call me volcano lips for nothing.
6: Why, you've forgotten more about love than most men ever knew.
2: Yeah, I guess I have.
6: I wish you could remember a little of it. <laughs> I'll try. Oh, this must be Meredith. Come in.
2: Howdy, folks. Hello, Meredith. Gracie tells me you have a date tonight, Meredith. I surely have. Her name is uh, Peggy, and I'm awful anxious to make a good impression, so I thought I'd like to get some advice from the old master himself. Well, you've come to the right place. Yeah, I know Bill Goodwin usually drops in.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Meredith, it's possible that I can tell you some things about women. Oh, well, thanks, George, but you probably just heard the same rumors I have. Well, listen, Meredith. Uh, no amount of talking about women is going to take the place of experience. You want to get out and rub elbows with them? Is that fun?
3: <laughs> it's keen. Come in.
2: Hi, Paul. Oh, hello, Bill. Hi, Bill. Hello, Master. Hi, Meredith. Say, Bill. I've got a date with a girl tonight, and, and I wish you'd please give me some. Now, side time, uh, please, Meredith. I've got a big problem of my own right now. But Bill, I Meredith, d- I'm sorry. I've got something on my mind right now beside women.
6: Uh, See him later, Meredith, when he's thinking normally again.
2: (laughs) Well, okay, I'll drop back then. What's up, El?
6: Yes, it must be pretty important if you refuse to talk about women.
2: Gracie, I don't think only about women. I think of my career, too. And that's what this is about. I want fame and success and lots of money.
6: Well, of course you do.
2: Sure. Look at the women I'll be able to get. <laughs> Bill, suppose you tell us what this is all about. Well, George, there's a part open at my studio that I'm dying to get. It's in a picture called Love in a Cottage. And who do you think I'd be playing opposite? Ingrid Bergman. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine Ingrid Bergman and me playing opposite each other? What an opportunity. What a chance to become the biggest picture name in the country.
3: Well, sure.
2: And, of course, it'll help me, too. <laughs> <laughs> He's a mitre, isn't he?
6: Well, Bill, what's the matter? Can't you get the part?
2: Well, I don't know, Gracie. You see, the producer, Mr. Sherwood, is one of these guys who believes in realism. The part is a married man, and he feels only a married man could play it. Well, there's only one answer, Bill. Get married. Well, sure,
6: pick out one of the girls you're engaged to and surprise her. <laughs> you no,
2: know, I thought of a better way, Gracie. I told the producer that I was married, that I already have a wife. What? Well, yeah, I've even invited him to dinner tonight, so now i got to produce a wife. You don't know where I could borrow one, do you?
5: Well, no, I'm afraid I... Uh, come in. Good afternoon, Mrs. Burns. <laughs> Here's your mail. Oh,
6: thank you, Mr. Postman.
5: Did I interrupt a family conference?
6: Oh, uh, no, no. We're trying to help Mr. Goodwin. He wants to borrow somebody's wife.
5: Oh, but Mr. Goodwin's is sort of a wolf. If he borrowed a wife, he might keep her. No. No, I wouldn't. Darn it, I was going to lend you mine.
2: (laughs) No, no thanks, Mr. Postman.
5: Not even if I threw in a week's salary? (laughs) No. My government pension? (laughs) Nope. No matter what shape she's returned in, I won't ask for a refund. (laughs) No, we better forget it
6: understand you, Mr. Postman, if you're that anxious to get rid of your wife, why did you ever marry
5: her? Oh, I was young, and it was spring. The hollyhocks were blooming, and the chickadees were singing. I see. Since then, I've been arrested a dozen times for pulling up hollyhocks and throwing them at chickadees. (laughs)
3: Well... Mr. Postman,
5: I'd like to oblige, but you know how it is. Yes, I know. I'm stuck with my mail bag and that female, too. <laughs> well, goodbye. Remember, keep smiling.
6: <laughs> well, Bill, I guess you'll have to look somewhere else for a wife.
2: Well, I was, uh... I was sort of hoping that you'd play the part, Gracie. Me? Well, yes, we could invite the producer here for dinner. I don't think much of the idea.
6: Oh, neither do I, Bill. Oh, you better forget it.
2: Okay, Gracie, I just picked you because I wanted the producer to think my wife was as charming as Ingrid Bergman. Well, I'll be running along.
6: As charming as Ingrid Bergman?
2: Oh, yes. And just as beautiful. Well, I'll be running along.
6: I'm as beautiful as she?
2: Oh, sure. And even more talented. Well, I'll be running along.
6: More talented than Ingrid Bergman, me?
2: Well, easily. Well, I'll be- Oh,
6: sit down, Bill. <laughs> uh, what's your hurry?
2: Then you'll do it?
6: Well, yes. You can call a producer and invite
5: him here for dinner.
2: <laughs> I already did. <laughs> <laughs> well,
5: I'll run home and get dressed. See you later, Wifey, dear.
2: With Meredith Wilson and his chiffon arrangement of that top tune till the end of time. <laughs> Flatter you into it. Imagine going for that line of boys. Well, I anyone who falls for flattery is a dope. Besides, what'll I do while Bill is your husband? Hide in the attic?
6: Well, no. You can be our butler.
2: <laughs> butler? Nothing doing.
6: Oh, all right, dear. I just wanted to show Bill that you're a finer actor than Charles Lawton. That's all. But forget it.
2: Me? <laughs> Finer than
6: Lawton? Uh, Oh, yes, and much more convincing. But that's all right. Forget it.
2: More convincing? I am?
6: Well, of course. No one could play an English butler like you could, but forget
2: it. Don't try to talk me out of this part. (laughs) (laughs) Blimey, Governor, the Bloomin' Dinner is safe. Shall I pass the tomatoes?
6: Oh, then
2: you'll do it? Eh, quite, quite, old Bean. Frightfully amusing and all that sort of rock.
6: Oh, you cute. <laughs> now, Bill, if you hope to convince this movie producer that you're married, you better have some lessons in how to act like a husband.
2: Oh, Gracie, I don't need any lessons. No,
6: well, I'd better try you out. Now, I'm your wife, and I say, um, do you love me, darling?
2: Yes. Yes, my beautiful queen. I love you deeply, devotedly, tenderly, passionately. And I shall always love you.
6: You're the singlest man I ever saw. <laughs> now, I'll show you how a husband answers that question. George is in the den reading the paper. George?
5: Huh? Do
6: you love me, darling?
2: Uh-huh. Close the door. <laughs> well?
6: See what I mean?
2: Gee, the little man's a ball of fire,
6: isn't he? <laughs> are all
2: husbands like that? Oh, no, not
6: right away. The first year, they sit across the breakfast table and tell you how beautiful you are. That lasts until the first anniversary. Oh, I see. I think that's why they call it the paper anniversary. From then on, they'd rather read the paper.
3: <laughs> Say,
2: what time is the producer coming to dinner?
6: Well, Mr. Sherwood will be here at 7.30, George. Which means you'd better hurry and teach Bill how to act like a husband.
2: Well, it's very simple, Bill. Now go outside and come in like you're a husband. Uh, a husband coming coming to dinner. Okay. Darling. Here's a big hug and kiss from your loving husband. Mm.
6: Uh, we better run through that again. <laughs>
2: Here's a big hug and kiss from your loving husband.
5: Mm. Uh, once more. Gracie, I don't like this. How do you know you've never tried it?
3: <laughs> <laughs>
5: never mind. Get
2: on with the scene. And Bill, try to remember that you're a tired, hungry husband coming home after a hard day's work. Don't be so agreeable. Oh, okay. What do we got for dinner, wife?
6: Oh, we're having the most wonderful dinner, dear. There. First there's caviar. Ah.
2: Uh, now you're working.
6: <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, turtle
5: soup. Ah.
6: Uh, then pheasants under glass.
5: Ah.
6: Uh, then <laughs> crepe suzette. Ah. Uh, <laughs>
2: Okay, that's enough rehearsal. <laughs> Come in. I've been waiting in the little
6: old car for an hour now, Dimples, honey. Dimples, honey?
2: Well, that's me. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm sorry, baby. Folks, I'd like you to meet the one and only girl. The girl I really love. Miss, um... What's your name again, kid?
3: Cynthia <laughs> Louco.
2: Oh, that's right. Glad to
3: meet you, Cynthia Lowe.
2: Oh,
6: the pleasure's mine, sir. I've always wanted to meet Bill's father.
4: (laughs)
3: And
6: this this charming lady must be Bill's sister. Oh, no, no. I'm his wife. His wife? Well, uh, just temporarily. You see, I was George's wife until Bill came in. And now I'm Bill's wife this evening. But tomorrow I'll be George's wife again And Ingrid Bergman will be Joe's wife But when they finish loving the cottage Maybe you'll be his wife Just remember, this is Hollywood <laughs> Well, it certainly is living up to its reputation I'll see you later, Mr. Dimples Goodwin
5: Wait, Cynthia Lou
3: Hand me, you... you Yankee <laughs> <laughs>
2: Holy smoke, now I am in trouble What a mess Oh gee, I'm glad you're still here, Bill. Will you give me some advice now, will you, Bill? Huh? Huh? Please, now, Bill. Later, will you? Huh, Bill? Oh, please? Huh? Huh? <laughs> later, later, Meredith. Later. I'm well, busy. Bill, just tell me the first thing I should say to Peggy tonight. Oh, go jump in the lake. Gee, why couldn't I have thought of that? <laughs> You better hurry up and get dressed, Gracie. That producer will be here any minute. Oh, yes, dear. Give me a hand with this girdle, will you, dear?
6: It's so tight. Okay. Mm. One more pull. Mm. Mm. There. Oh, darling, it makes you look wonderful.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I knew it was the only way I'd ever get those tuxedo pants to fit me. Haven't worn them for ten years.
6: Oh, how about it? Can you get them fastened?
2: Nope. They don't quite reach
6: Well, here, I'll help you Uh, Pull in your tummy Okay No, pull in your chest Okay No, pull in your tummy
2: Okay No Why don't you make up your mind?
6: I can't tell which is which
2: (laughs) I should never have agreed to do this I'm worried about the part of the butler
6: Yeah, me too The part that won't fit into these pants (laughs) Now, uh, take a deep breath, dear Let's try it again there, there, I got it. But for heaven's sakes, George, whatever you do, don't bend over. Don't worry. Oh, dear, that may be Mr. Sherwood already. Slip on your coat.
2: Mm. But what do we do? Bill isn't back yet.
6: Oh, that's perfectly honest.
2: How do you do? I'm Lawrence Sherwood, the movie producer.
6: Oh, how do you do? Um, come right in, Mrs. Sherwood. I'm Mrs. Goodwin. Uh, Burns, take Mr. Sherwood's hat.
2: Yes, madam. Oh, oh, how clumsy of me. I dropped it. I'll pick it up.
6: <laughs> Uh-oh. Oh, you ripped your pants, sweetheart.
2: Did you call the butler sweetheart?
6: Oh, I meant Burns. Excuse me, Mr. Sherwood. I'll, uh, have to take him in and put some different pants on him.
3: <laughs>
2: hmm. I wonder if Bill knows about this.
3: Well, that was
2: a delightful dinner, Mrs. Goodwin
6: Mrs. Good, oh, oh, yes, well, thank you Um, you may clear the table, Burns
2: Very good, madam
6: Um, hubby dear, take Mr. Sherwood into the living room, and I'll have Vern serve the coffee in there.
2: All right, lovey dove. Ah, it's a charming place, yes.
6: Well, (laughs) judge the dinner went off without a hitch. Now, uh, bring in the coffee and uh, some brandy, too, into the living room.
2: Now, wait a minute. I've only got one bottle of brandy, and I've been saving it for ten years.
6: Bring it in, dear.
2: But we never save brandy after dinner.
6: Maybe you Burnses don't,
2: but we good
6: ones know how to live.
2: Well, I'm not going to let those two guys drink up my precious brandy. But
6: look what's at stake there. A pot opposite Ingrid Bergman. And just think of her, George. Beautiful, luscious, divine Ingrid Bergman. Now, how about the brandy?
2: Bergman can have a drink, but not those two guys.
3: <laughs>
6: George... Have I ever forced you to do anything against your will? Yes. Well, I'm still at it. Bring in the brand.
2: <laughs> yes, and I'm really settled down. Yes, sir, Mr. Sherwood, there's nothing like being a family man. Oh, you're right, Bill. And if I may say so, you've a mighty pretty young wife.
6: Well, of course you may say so, Mr. Sherwood.
3: <laughs>
6: After all, you're a
3: guest.
2: Uh, thank you.
6: But I'm not really as young as I look. I'm way over 20.
3: <laughs> really?
6: Oh, yes.
2: Weeks and weeks. <laughs>
6: oh, uh, Burns, we're waiting.
2: The brandy, madam.
3: Well, don't just
6: stand there, Burns. Offer some to Mr. Sherwood.
2: Yes, madam. You wouldn't want any of this brandy, would you, Mr. Sherwood? Why, I wouldn't mind a little, I wouldn't take too much. It's (laughs) lousy.
6: Why, Burns, you let Mr. Sherwood have some of that brandy.
2: Certainly, and take all you want, Mr. Sherwood. There's nothing cheap about us Goodwins. Hand Mr. Sherwood the bottle Burns. Yes, sir. Very good, sir.
6: Well, uh, don't you want any, sweetheart? Certainly I do,
2: but he'll drink up all the brandy. (laughs) To my husband. Oh, uh, <clears throat> beg pardon, madam. Um, don't you
6: want any, sweetheart?
2: Well, I'll have a drop or so, lover. When Mr. Sherwood has had his, I'll finish the bottle. What? Burns, bring us a box of cigars.
3: Cigars?
2: Yes, they're in the sideboard in the dining room. The second I drawer... I know where they are. <laughs> Rather odd sort of fellow, that butler.
6: Well, yes, isn't he, though?
2: I notice you and he keep referring to each other as sweetheart.
6: Oh, that. Oh, well, you know what you have to do to keep help these days.
3: <laughs>
2: now, Mr. Sherwood, about that picture, love in a cottage. Oh, yes, I think... I'm glad you brought that up. You know, Bill, when you told me that you were married and settled down, I didn't believe it. You see, I had heard that you were A wolf? A wolf. Lover? What's a wolf?
6: <laughs> oh, he's so innocent. A wolf, Billy boy, is a man who stands on street corners and whistles at girls.
2: What for?
3: <laughs> well,
6: darling, so they'll get in his car and he can hug them and kiss them.
2: Oh. Oh, any man who do that should be run out of Hollywood.
6: Well, it's would be a pretty dull place with just women yes yes
2: you wouldn't want to be the only man left among thousands of women <laughs>
3: oh no no of course i would i have
2: never looked at any woman except my dear sweet wife come in bill you just gotta give me that advice it's getting late oh
6: not now meredith we have a guest
2: oh well i'm uh, sorry to interrupt sir but I need Bill's help. You see, he's got so many girls. Girls? Bill? Uh,
6: uh, didn't Bill tell you
5: about our girls?
2: Oh, no, darn it. It slipped my mind. Well, well, how many have you got?
5: Two. Four.
2: How many? Four. Two.
3: <laughs>
2: well, just don't let him kid you. Now, Bill's got a whole lot more than that. Really? And how old are you? Well, most of them are around 18.
3: 18? <laughs>
2: Mrs. Goodwin, you just said that you were barely over 20. How could you have daughters 18? Oh,
6: well, um, once we got married, we decided not to wait.
3: <laughs> 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 yeah. Say, <laughs> <laughs> hey,
2: uh, I don't exactly know what's going on here, but, uh, I just... Came to get some advice from the biggest wolf in Hollywood. And just who is that? Cigars.
6: There he stands. <laughs> Burns the home wrecker. Huh? Uh, Mr. Wilson wants some advice from you, Burns. But take him out of here, you lady killer. I don't want my husband to hear that kind of talk.
2: But you quickly, s- Burns. Take him out. I don't want my ears soiled.
6: Okay. <laughs> That mm, butler is such a wolf.
2: Yeah. So now you understand what Mr. Wilson was talking about. All but one thing. Those grown daughters.
6: Oh, uh, well, they're not really grown. Um, one's two, and the other three.
2: But Mr. Wilson said there were 18.
6: Oh, well, they're a little large for their age. <laughs>
2: Where are they now? I'd, I'd like to see them. Uh... Well, we have them in uh, boarding school.
6: Yes, yes. We feel that every child should learn how to board. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: well, two children. You really are settled down, aren't you, Bill? Oh, oh you bet, Mister Sherwood. Now, about that picture, love in a cottage. Oh, I... yes. I'm glad you mentioned it. Now that I see you're really happily married, I think that.
6: Come in. Now, looky here. Poor little old me has been kicked around. All poor little old me can stand. Uh All poor little old
3: us.
6: (laughs) I demand that Dimples marry me right away.
2: Dimples? Whose Dimples? Cigars.
6: Well, really, Burns, this is too much. Huh? You take this girl right out and marry her.
2: Marry her?
3: Now she here.
2: Get going, Dimples. Okay. Oh, what a man. Does this sort of thing happen often?
6: Oh, constantly. Why, Burns is responsible for half the women on Mr. Anthony's program.
2: (laughs) Yes. Really, dear, you must fire that awful chaser. He may lead me astray. Now, about the lead in your picture, Mr. Sherwood. No, it's all settled, Bill. I've found the perfect leading man. Oh, good. Good. And, um, who is he, Mr. Sherwood? Cigars. There he stands, Burns the Butler.
3: Huh? Huh? Huh?
5: But I thought
2: I'd get the lead in Love in a Cottage. That's what I've been trying to tell you, Bill. We're not making Love in a Cottage. Instead, we're doing a picture called On the Prowl, the story of a wolf. And Burns is just the type. Oh, no! I'm gonna be in pictures you'll be the new van Johnson the heartthrob of every American woman
6: you mean he'll be making a movie star salary from now on
2: until he's too old to walk before a camera
6: oh George what a wonderful year we have ahead of us <laughs> <laughs>
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Nimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend. This podcast
0: is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.